This is our final Spielberg, so let's throw in any Spielberg stuff, you know, that we want to talk about with him, because it may be a while before we cover him again or never again. Oh, we're definitely doing so. Always at some point. Why do people hate that movie? I don't understand it. It's we like, should have slipped that one it's, in. It's, it's so good. Like that movie is that movie affects me emotionally. There's a scene in that movie that is maybe the most upsetting scene in any movie I've ever seen. Like I, I got which so one? emotionally like gutted by it. The part where he is in Holly Hunter's house and he's watching her like be there with that new guy. Oh yeah, and it's just destroying him, but he won't leave. And it's so powerful, like in the way it's done, like it could have been done for laughs or whatever, but instead it's done as like the most, like that is true purgatory. It's just like yeah. you are watching the woman you love be with another guy and you're happy for her, but you can never touch her or talk to her or anything. And you're just stuck seeing these people exist and you can't exist with them. And like, that seems like the ultimate, you know, like the horrible thing to go through as a ghost. It's. God, that movie's fucking great. Yeah. I've never seen the original, and maybe because no, the original's so good. No, it's not. The original was so good. Guy Named Joe? I, I mean, know. it's fine. I, it, Always is better. But, like, but I think that's one of the best Richard Dreyfuss performances of the 80s. Yeah. Like, the 80s, he got a yep. little silly. Yep. And for, like, him being dramatic, like, and him coming back with Spielberg again for a third time, yep. I thought, I think that movie's great. Everything uh, you're saying. Know. Goodman's People, performance he, is fantastic. Yeah. The firefighting scenes look incredible. Like, the movie's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fuck everybody else who hates that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Always is good. Anyways, I don't even understand. We're not here to talk yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, I don't get it. Um. All right. I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to the World is Wrong podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Ready! Player one. <laughs> Welcome to The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm the other host, and my name is Brian Connolly. And Brian, this is the winter solstice, the darkest day of the year. 12, is it really today? 21, 21, 12, 21, 21. The day this is coming out. Actually, the day we're recording this is well before that. But the day this is coming out is the winter solstice. We are trying to, trying to bring the light, bring the light to the people with this film, <clears throat> Ready Player One, that you chose. <laughs> is winter solstice your favorite of the solstices? It's mine. Oh, No. It's my least no. favorite of the solstices. Really? Yeah. Why? Okay. Because well, the dark. It's the darkest day of the year. I mean, that's a good thing. No, no, I like it. <laughs> I, I like. I like the summer. I like the summer. I like, I like the cold and the dark. And oh well, this is why we balance each other. We're just like a <laughs> a, a yin yang symbol of film appreciators. Maybe because I miss it because I'm in Texas where it barely gets cold and dark. I should have so said yin-yang. Like, Sorry, not yin-yang. <laughs> yin-yang. Yes. Wistful for those uh, uh, you know, Washington State uh, winter solstices. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let, let's, not, let's not talk about the weather. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about Ready Player One, Brian. Uh, yeah. We're going to get to playing a clip yeah. from it. We've been Spielberging our way through the month of December. Um, yeah. And so, uh, any any first thoughts on Ready Player One? Why you chose this film? This was a movie that it's based on a book, 
It's based on a book by Ernest Klein. He is from Austin. He lives in Austin. And initially, like a lot of people I knew were really excited about the book, and I was not. Because I'm not that interested in just like 80s nostalgia, pop culture, overload in a book just sounded not interesting to me. Like reading about people obsessed with movies in a book is just like, eh, I don't know. That's how my brain is 24-7. Do I need... Whoa. Sorry. <laughs> you fall down. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just dropped something. <laughs> I fell over. I was like, I was, I was thinking... Well, I hope you Shocked. don't read Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because that's going to be a really... You're not going uh, to like that. Uh, I, you know what? I did, and I loved it, so I guess I'm full of shit. But <laughs> Tarantino exception. Uh, the book, for whatever reason, because I think because it was just ba- 80s nostalgia, I don't really have that. Right. I, I think I did a long time ago, but now I don't anymore. I'm just kind of burnt out on it. So I was kind of like, eh, I don't need to read that. Um, but then when this movie came out, for whatever reason, I was like, oh, Spielberg's making... A movie that actually looks kind of fun again. I'm excited about this. And then I found out that no one else I knew was excited about this movie. So I went and saw it uh, opening weekend with my wife. And we both loved it. So I've been a defender of it uh, ever since. And we'll go more into that. Okay. Well, I'm excited to talk about it with you, too. So uh, let's go to a clip and then we'll come back and get into this film. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. I created three keys. Three hidden challenges test for worthy traits, revealing three hidden keys to three magic gates. And those with the skill to survive these straits will reach the end where the prize awaits. Off you go, keys. The keys aren't just laying around under a rock somewhere. I suppose you could say they're invisible, hidden in a dark room that's at the center of a maze that's located somewhere up here. Let the hunt for Halliday's Easter egg begin. Uh, <laughs> ready player one uh yeah so the plot brief plot of it uh there is a game there's a game that everyone in the world plays this takes place in the future and there's this kind of interactive vr game that all of america is obsessed with and it was created by a man named halliday played by mark rylance and people play this game instead of going to work. They play this game instead of going to school. This is sort of like the Pokemon of the future. <laughs> uh, and then it is announced one day that this game has a secret in it because Halliday passed away and he left an Easter egg in the game. And whoever can find that Easter egg or follow a few Easter eggs can then own the game, basically control the game, and be in charge of all his stock and kind of be the big guy, be what he was, and make it whatever they want it to be. So then, of course, all these people, young and old, get very, very excited to figure it out, to to solve the mystery, to win this game. And, of course, it's not just the uh, underprivileged, uh, low-income Wade, played by Ty Sheridan, but also you have big CEO, corrupt, corporate 
piece of shit, Sorrento, played by the brilliant Ben Mendelsohn, trying to get it to kind of to kinda absorb it into his own corporation that he already has. And he, of course, hires, has on hand because he's rich, everyone who works for him to play this game, to try to find it. It's very similar to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, this movie, in a way. <laughs> very much so. Of like you have the rich kids in that in that book that like their parents can hire all their the people to work for them to find the golden ticket so their daughter can go to the chocolate factory and then you just have Charlie Bucket who's just a poor kid and he just happens to find it and he goes in with his own idealistic version of what he thinks he could do if he shows up at the chocolate factory. So very similar stories in a way. Um, this movie and this game is very engulfed in pop culture and obsessed with pop This is a future where everybody's obsessed with pop culture, in particular, the pop culture of the 80s. So in this game, people drive DeLoreans, they dress up as Beetlejuice, they uh, like to listen to, you know, soundtrack from The Breakfast Club. And They're really constant, into constant... denying medical care to people with AIDS. <laughs> And kicking welfare mothers <laughs> off of uh, oh, what? Not that '80s, the not the fun '80s. Really? Uh, they're, so they're big into smuggling cocaine into the poor neighborhoods and using that to fund the paramilitary occupation. Reagan doesn't exist in this oh. '80s nostalgia. This is a this isn't a Paul Verhoeven movie, Andras. <laughs> this is a Steven Spielberg movie. If this wouldn't that be interesting? If this Paul Verhoeven's Ready Player One, it would get into some dark Reaganomics shit. Okay, is there, are there, uh, please at least tell me that there's poisonous Tylenol in this. Where, where the people, no. the people, no? No. Oh. no. Je- just references to Robert Zemeckis and, uh, you know. Different Gremlins. strokes? Do we get different strokes? Is... No. <laughs> what, what age? Man, it, could be, people... you know, it could be in there. It could be buried. So this is the, you know, like, this is the 80s Sorry. obsessed with bo- big box office movie like uber pop culture like the kind of pop culture that people's parents would get people's parents that weren't young in the 80s would get not the minutiae of a different strokes <laughs> it, uh, oh my god that's minutia <laughs> not, not the more not the minutia. did we get is more get more and mindy how about more and mindy do we get more and no, mindy no, no. no more but Jeez. uh Anyways, <laughs> that's the plot of the movie. Joe Piscopo? Uh, How about Joe Piscopo? <laughs> <laughs> no, Joe Piscopo. Johnny Dangerously? How about I bet it's full of Johnny Dangerously references. No, 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 no Johnny Dangerously. We're talking Back to the Future. We're talking like the big, like Big Trouble in Little China. The stuff, basically. The stuff that 40-year-old nerds now are still obsessed with, the people that control the internet currently, the modern film critics. People who didn't live through the 80s, really, honestly. (laughs) Stranger Things fans. (laughs) What they're into. So that's the plot of the movie, in a nutshell. Um, Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a comedy, it's an action movie, it's it's a Spielberg movie. I love In a Nutshell. Um... So, how is the world wrong about this film, Brian? Nobody likes this movie. I don't think... Do you like it? I love it. Okay, okay. I love this movie. But this is a movie that I didn't know anyone who saw it. People were instantly dismissive of it, being like, that looks like some crap. I don't want to watch that. 
Like the trailers, I think, didn't do a good job of it, maybe. Uh, it did fine at the box office. It did okay. It was nominated for an Oscar for like visual effects. But it just was a movie that people kind of assumed was nothing. Too breezy, to worth their attention. And it came and went. And anytime I bring it up to anyone that I love, this movie... They just kind of their eyes gloss over, and they clearly aren't listening to anything. They I'm love saying. you just they a little on. less. They just <laughs> they just move on. And even the people that I've told that we're doing this for a Spielberg month, they're like, "Why are you wasting on that movie? Do something else, like a Hook or Always, the stuff that has its little group of fans that this movie doesn't have yet." Um, but I think that's all the more reason why we should do this movie. On the darkest day have, of the year, you are taking on, the, on. I'm taking on Ready Player One. I love this movie. I really do. I saw it in the theater. I couldn't wait to watch it again. And now I just, and I, I just, I'm just really excited to talk about it. And uh, every time I watch this movie, I'm excited to watch it again. How many times have you watched this movie? Uh, Maybe three or four times. Not a lot because I watch a lot of movies for many things, including this podcast. But that's no, a lot for me. That's a lot. I don't, re- I don't usually rewatch a movie. But yeah. I, I've, I think I've sat through it full attention twice. And then I've had it on kind of while I was at work or doing stuff just to kind of be a part of my environment in that moment a few times for sure. So, yeah. It's, it's a movie that brings me great joy. I'm thinking this movie does for me what I guess Stranger Things does for people. What that show does not do for me, this movie does for me. Because hmm. do you like that show? Have you tried watching that? Oh show? yeah, yeah. I I I can't. I, I couldn't like... get past the first episode. I couldn't oh. get into it at all. Oh yeah, no, no. I I like it. I, I, but I I like things that are. I like the way they release them. They release them all at once. I binge them like I'm reading a you know a Stephen King novella <laughs> on an airplane, and so they you know they go down real easy. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, with this film, all like what I can say about Stranger, I mean about uh, Ready Player One is it's no Mordecai, but <laughs> I feel like I may feel about this the way you feel about or felt about Mordecai. Uh, so you, so this is the first time you watched this was for this. Yeah. What 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 what, what did you, what did you think of it? Because you are, you know more of the '80s than I do. You were more aware of it than I was. I was but a child, but you were a part of, and you're a part. Of '80s nostalgia, like you have partaken in it. Yeah, yeah. Between... Like not, not, not that you're in it, but you're partook in things that people have nostalgia for from the '80s. Yeah, I'm. I mean, does Freddy Krueger? Freddy Krueger must he shows up in this? Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah he's in this. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, for me, it just. I mean, it was just a film. It was a film that just sort of didn't stick to the ribs on the first watch. To me, it didn't hmm. like I. There was, I wasn't, I didn't, there was no point in where I was like, oh, this sucks. This is, this is a bad movie. It's just, there was also, at the end, I didn't feel anything except, well, that was a movie. That was a, you know, that was a well-made thing that maybe, so, you know, part of that might be me. And so that's why, you know, so I don't, I don't have, I'm not bringing a lot to this. The other thing, I'm, I'm, I guess this is the point where I reference our early episodes. Is so I meant I referenced Mordecai, and also this film features the the hero, uh, what's his name, 
Wade Watts. Uh, his birthday, we share the same birthday. He's going to be born in five years on August 12th. Oh. <laughs> August 12th, uh, uh, 2026. Or uh, that's in the book. In the movie, they and the I guess in the movie and the audio book, they made him a year older, to twenty twenty seven. So yeah, so he's going to be born on my birthday. You know, maybe while I'm still alive, I hope. And then uh, so more more date more date nonsense around this episode. Uh, so that that jumped out to me. And then I did a little, a little research on him. And when I was trying to figure out, because uh, I didn't want to rewatch the whole film to figure out what year he was born on, I looked up Wade Watts. Turns out uh, the author of Ready Player One stole the name Wade Watts from a civil rights activist from the 1960s. He was the president of the Oklahoma NAACP from 1968 oh, to 1984. <laughs> and he was born in Oklahoma, which is which also Wade Watts in the film was born in Oklahoma. So that is, huh. uh, you know, it's an odd. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. There's it. It's troubling because I think probably more people it. It's not in a way that maybe it's like, oh, we're doing it to honor him. But it's a weird way to honor him because he, he doesn't he's not mentioned like it. That's not in the from, book. That's his name in the book. Yeah. And, huh, in, and yeah, in the film, weird. and this there's a very real person also from Oklahoma who's a real historical figure whose name I was unaware of until I was looking up the character from this film. So I don't know. That's hmm. uh, maybe I'm not so Odd. ready for that player one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe it's a thing of like like these are av- like maybe it's it's like you could extend the idea that it's trying on an avatar, but it's a weird. It's something it it that sticks to the ribs a little bit more than the film does, unfortunately. Or maybe it sticks in my craw, and the film doesn't stick in my, stick to my ribs. But uh, it, well, uh, there's one other thing. So I'm in LA this week, and I'm thinking about doing this doing this podcast. And it's not quite the same, but I saw my first delivery robot, like out on the street rolling down the street, doing deliveries with nobody around to guide it, just guiding itself. And it was at a crosswalk with these kids near a school. And it was, mm-hmm. it looked like an image, like an image out of a dystopian Spielberg futuristic film, like Minority Report or something. It really mm-hmm. gave me the creeps. And I also today was watching Finch, which is a film that also sticks to the ribs more than Ready Player One and feels very Spielberg. It's an Amblin film with Tom Hanks. And it's a film where he's living in this future where it's just him and a robot and a dog and, you know, faceless marauders. And I don't know, all of that, like, all of that uh, is going around in my head. And I'm thinking about last week's episode when we talked with AJ about Spielberg, the optimist. And the more I think about it, the more I think, I I don't think that's true. I don't think he's an optimist (laughs) at all. I mean, I, I think he tries. He's a guy who, who tries to make the best of things, but I don't think that's the same as being an optimist. Because, yeah. <laughs> what filmmaker do you think is a true optimist? 
Um, or they really are like they really believe in humanity and the future and think there's a good thing at the end of it. Like, you know, I, they don't have to work. Doesn't have to work. It doesn't have to be believable. But do you, who do you think like has that? Um, do you think you think it's our our favorite person to not like Aaron Sorkin? <laughs> no, no. I think that I think he's I think he's cynical. I think if you're if you're look if you're going down that that route, I would say Rob Reiner. Is pretty damn optimistic. Okay, I mean, not recently, but in his in his run of great films, there's a lot of opt. And you know, Sorkin touches on it with a few good men. But I would say that that's him getting more towards the cynical. But there is still that Reiner optimism. That but like uh, the Sure Thing and Princess Bride and When Harry Met Sally. And I mean, I don't, I don't know if Spinal Tap is optimistic, but it kind of is because, I mean, any comedy is optimistic and that's a great comedy. And it's optimistic mm-hmm. because it's a, an improv comedy before people were doing that. And that's just a, like an optimism about like, if me and my friends get together, we can make a movie that is super <laughs> funny just by pretend by making shit up. So I'd say I'd say he's pretty, you know, pretty optimistic. Him and Vincent Gallo. Are probably the t- <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> I think maybe optimism. There's not a lot of use to, use for optimism in uh, art. I think maybe we want pessimists to question things because that's what art should be for, and like things that just make like maybe like Toby Keith is who we have for optimism. I don't know. Like the people are just like believe in that dream and just believe in that thing that nobody else is really believing it anymore i don't know but uh yeah it's interesting yeah i i agree i don't know if spielberg is an optimist either like i don't know what like his movies certainly have a lot of happy endings for sure but are they happy like you're right yeah, like really the terminal just... is the terminal really a happy ending what, no what's a, what's like, a film of his like, that is a happy ending i just pick one up tell me which one of these like no like because like when you think about it like raiders of lost ark he loses like they get the ark they the government gets it they put it away in that warehouse like you know like uh in jaws they kill jaws this this like this shark just trying to live its life well it's no but like, jaws it's, eats it's, everyone it's like... first <laughs> Yeah, but you know, because Jaws was in the water before people were. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> They're messing with it. Jaws. And as we know from the sequels, there's like the mom shark protecting the bait. And like Jurassic Park, it's like it falls apart, but then you know it keeps going. They keep, you know, genetically making the dinosaurs. So that's no happy ending. It doesn't stop. Um, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't like, know yeah, any. What, what is the one? Like, like, I guess it's nice e. that Schindler had his list and he helped those people <laughs> yeah, out. No. It's like, that's good. But it's still the Holocaust still happens, so that's yeah. not great. Also, it's, in Raiders uh, of the Lost Ark, still happens. So. Yeah, it still happens. Doesn't matter what artifacts you steal from the Nazis, Indiana Jones, they still kill six million Jews. So maybe you should have helped them with that instead of just some <laughs> artifact. But anyways, <laughs> close encounters, I guess. But then at the same time, this guy gives up his family and everything. His whole life is over, so he can go off with aliens. Like so, maybe it's all. Not optimistic whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I. Well, I think it is, and I, I mean, it's. We haven't really said it, but we're kind. I mean, by focusing on Steven Spielberg in the month of December, we are waging a subtle war on Christmas. 
<laughs> and there is something, I feel like that is a very, like what I think of as sort of the best aspect of sort of the Jewish philosophy as I've inherited it, which is, again, it's not optimistic. It's it's not unrealistic. You be You have to be realistic about what's really there. And then under these circumstances, how can we make the best of this? How can we make the best of how can we, you know, make this little thing into a feast? How can we, you know, whatever that 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 is that's kind of inherent in what I think of as what again, what's best, like even like the Hanukkah idea of like making a little bit of oil last a long time with God's help or whatever. I don't want to get into the religion of it, but I feel like there's something with that in Spielberg is that it's it's a guy who's looking at the darkness of the world and trying desperately to connect and to find something good in it without breaking the spell, which would be like saying, oh, and the aliens are super happy. Or, I mean, <laughs> no, they did terrorize these people and they're creepy and weird. And that ending is is conflicting. And you, and like, it's, it's and majestic. And we out that movie's about Watergate. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> Even, I mean, even with poltergeists, the ghosts end up being Native Americans whose right. graves removed. Yeah, so you feel sorry for them. And you're just like, wait a minute, like this, like they, they're the people are the bad guys, and not not the ghosts. Well, it's not even that so, you feel like, sorry for them. It's a metaphor for America. America's built on that graveyard. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah, that's exactly. why it's so effective. That's that's dark. <laughs> it's fucking <laughs> that's really dark. dark. That's yeah. really really dark. Um. Yeah, no, he maybe he's one of the darker filmmakers. Maybe he's darker than Scorsese. He just sugarcoats it in a way that people or people think he does, but they don't realize how fucked up (laughs) it all is. I think that, I mean, it's a good comparison. I think with Scorsese, the, I think Scorsese is more interested in the brutality, you know, the the one-on-one, person-to-person, intimate brutality you know, yeah. neighborhood brutality, you know, yeah. whereas Spielberg, I think, feels obligated to be an American storyteller. And he's yeah. aware of like, have, like I'm, I'm trying to tell the American story in yeah. the way that John Ford did it, except that he was a racist piece of shit and I am <laughs> something else. But still, you know, so I, yeah, I, I feel that obligation in what he's doing. And like, huh? But I'm I'm saying I'm yeah. I, I'm I'm watching Ready Player One as this is happening. Just it's on in the background, and I'm just this film does not move me. And I don't think it's about '80s nostalgia. I think it's just that I've never been a gamer. I think that if you, I think that's maybe yeah, maybe that's the because like, like what I love about this movie. One of the things I love about this movie is that I am a big. I'm, I've always been big into video games, and I love how this movie gets into like the video games I love the most are the role-playing ones. Like, I'm a big Zelda fan, Final Fantasy, like, ever since I was a kid. Like, those kind of big journey games. And this movie works like that, where the characters have to get into this problem-solving. There's obviously different levels. And I just I'm, there's something about that that's really appealing to me to see a big movie that deal, like that is like that, that kind of treasure hunt that really good video games offer you. Um, that's one of the reasons why I like this. But I don't know if that's why it wouldn't connect with you. Because like like my wife who doesn't play video games also liked it and so 
I don't know. I I'm looking at like the I, bad guy in this really looks like he's in a Marvel. Is he supposed to be in a Marvel movie or like? <laughs> is this a reference? See, to me, like to me, Ben Mendelsohn reminds me. No, so no, much no, not of the like... Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, but, but the his avatar, the big avatar. Oh, okay. No, Ben Mendelsohn. He, I, he has a lisp that I that I covet. Everything he says <laughs> is like he he's has this so... sexy lisp. Like he's like he's almost he's so like Thuffer and Suckatash, <laughs> but he's not quite there. And it's so cool. I love. It's like yeah, yeah. The, you know what I mean? Like, that way, his yeah. mouth is sort of like a little bit, little bit droopy lipped. But it makes well, he's the him... right person you want to play a yeah. villain because he isn't like he's very sympathetic. He, he's very sympathetic. It's it's like he does. He's not like that over. Like he's not like the super villainous. Like you're you scared of him. Like you, you're a Sean he's Bean. Scarier. He's not Sean Bean. He's is a, what you're saying? He's not Sean Bean, but he's more like the villain. Like that would be. I don't know, just like the uh, real life, you know, just like the ineffectual guy who he worked his way up, even though nobody likes him, worked his way up into <laughs> whatever level of power and is still like he's still all hurt about how people treated him in high school. So he's going to take it out on the world with his evil, you know, billionaire ways. And I love I love that kind of villain. <laughs> You know, it's funny, though, I'm thinking about this and thinking about the island and I just want I kind of want to just prod a little bit into what it is about you that has that makes you feel like you need to get up and defend the biggest films (laughs) by the biggest filmmakers solo (laughs) like there's something cantankerous and weird you know it's like i i it's like people who defend presidents i'm like I get it, but they don't need your help. But, but or like fan, fans of the Crown or that new movie Spencer, where you're like, why do we have sympathy for kings and princesses? I don't understand. But well, everybody's really human properties, but, you know. <laughs> but everybody's a human being, no matter where they are in life. We're all we're all born people. Uh, but I don't know. I feel like I think at least in my world of film fandom, from working at the video store and from working in the movie theater. Yeah, these are the movie. These are the movies that people take. That is easier to take down. It's like, it's just because they're so easy to dismiss. Because it's like, sure, yeah, you should definitely defend the small guy and those, and really stand up for the little movies that nobody knows about. And but like, it's so easy for everyone to shit on a Star Wars movie or a Spielberg movie, and everyone does. And any and it's like a thing to be cool and it's a thing to be different. Of like, I'm going to be hating on this thing that everybody else likes. Or this person who's had such a great run. I'm now going to make fun of how crappy the solo album by Paul McCartney is. And I'll be like, that album's amazing. Leave Paul well, McCartney that's alone. A different, that's a whole different <laughs> like thing. It's, but I think that uh, people like to, you know, like it's, it's so easy. And it, it's so prevalent, you know, just like it's so easy for everyone to just like you know, crap all over this big thing and make you feel... And, like, if you're the one person who likes it, everyone thinks you're trying to be different, you know? And I, I get that all the time of, like, oh, you're just trying to be, you know, silly because you, like, you defend this movie when everyone else in the world hates it. And the fact that everyone hates it in the world is because everyone in the world knows about it. It has to be by someone really big. It has to be a Ron Howard or a Steven Spielberg, you know, like... And I think it's okay to because I think those are these are filmmakers that people kind of take for granted or everyone knows about and it's it's not cool to like anything by Ron Howard ever like you're not gonna get a job at a video store saying like I love Ron Howard 
that's going to be people being like, oh, God. <laughs> Why? Um, and it's, Brian, it's, Brian, it's, I hate to break this to you, but uh, you're not going to get a... You should have just ended that sentence as, you're not going to get a job at a video store. I, <laughs> don't give people the idea that if they have... That they somehow hone this great taste that they're going to go out into a world... Maybe, maybe in the world of Ready Player One, you can create... Uh, like a game universe where there are record stores and there are people who buy records uh, or I mean, sorry, video stores, but, uh. but like at the movie theater I work at, I often get made fun of for defending these big, it's like the Adam Sandler thing. It's like Adam Sandler's doesn't need me. He's fine. He's super rich. He's, there's a big bunch of people that love him, but because he's so big, so many people feel like they it's it's like they need to take him down or whatever and not look at the things that they're making that could actually be good. It because it's so big. And so I don't know. I don't know why I feel the need to defend Michael Bay and Steven Spielberg uh, or movies made by Michael Bay produced by Steven Spielberg, but <laughs> I think it's just I don't know. I feel because so everyone hates them. So many people then I feel like I, nobody's stepping in to be like, because I think no one feels they need to. You know, it's funny. I feel like it, I feel like it's a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> like people are wrong. You're absolutely right that the, that people judge these films too harshly. But I would say, if I was to analyze you, uh, <laughs> there is something uh, sort of. Uh, uncontrollable urges you have that drives you to throw yourself in front of these films that they don't care. They don't need you. Um, yeah. It's, it's a neurosis. It's a beautiful, it's a very, it's a darling neurosis. We love it. It's my, we have a show. Uh, but, you know, yeah, it's just like, these are, this may be like, I, I, well, with the island, you, once we did it, you realized you didn't actually like it that much. But with this... <laughs> Let, so, I do like I do like this movie. So let, let's not let me uh, and my. So we've talked a lot around this movie. But if there's someone else out there who loves this movie and they're like, you know, you haven't talked about this movie at all, it's be, probably because I am not uh, hosting us towards it. So what are some of the aspects of this film that you just like you, that like get you? <laughs> Did you ever think Steven Spielberg would direct a movie with Chucky in it? I mean, come on, <laughs> that alone is exciting. That is a feat of the 21st century. So you really dug, you dug all the IP showing up. I do. And usually I don't like, the thing is I do, I don't really care for 80s nostalgia stuff. I feel like maybe because I wasn't quite old enough in the 80s and I'm more interested in someone being into 90s nostalgia because no one likes the 90s and I want that to be a thing that people are into. And I think it's, we're almost there. I think we're very close. We're on the cusp. But I don't know. I just and it, I think it's something interesting about Spielberg doing this movie because I don't think he has a lot of nostalgia for the '80s. I think the people have nostalgia for him and what he did then, or what he produced. Like not even what he made, like what he produced, like Goonies. Like Spielberg didn't even make that movie. But like people are just sort of obsessed yeah, in this. It's sort obvious of way. that he didn't make that movie. That is not a good movie. Sorry. <laughs> Cold take. <laughs> just saw it for the but first time last I, it's year. Just like, Did not like it. Sorry. <laughs> but I, I just feel like I don't know. Like I, I am interested in pop art. I'm like I'm a big Andy Warhol fan. I'm a big uh, Bruce Connor fan. Did you ever have to watch any Bruce Connor movies in Evergreen? Do you know who Bruce Connor is? Uh, who's he? He is a filmmaker that he did. 
amazing kind of collage work where he he did a movie called a movie and it's just all these scenes from other movies edited together but they they tell a new story and they have a they have a new feeling to it and it's really great and he did some videos for devo he did the mongoloid video and just sort of this idea of taking movies that exist and throwing it together and making a new thing out of it i'm really I've always been very excited about it. And I'm excited about people doing that music too. Like I'm a big fan of like DJ Shadow and Reducing, I think is one of the best albums ever. And maybe that's just sort of a thing growing up in the 90s because that's such a thing. I mean, that's a Tarantino thing. Like this is Steven Spielberg's Kill Bill, basically. Like you're taking all these things from film history or a certain part of film history and you're putting them, reforming them together to make a new thing. And I think that's a very interesting way to make art if if you're good at it um and i just i just i don't know like i've always been fans of movies like this that kind of take a bunch of movies and throw them like i'm a big fan of both of mick g's charlie angels movies especially full throttle oh and yes we must so do good. those episodes yes <laughs> and just the idea of like you're taking and it's that it's that great thing about like the, 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 the complaint that people have tarantino which i hate of like he just steals from movies. He's not original. It's like, no bullshit. Like, then, like, then Andy Warhol's not original. Then Bruce Conner's not original. Like, they are. Like, you're having a movie where Uma Thurman's dressed as Bruce Lee from Game of Death, but in the set from this movie, and but you're hearing this theme song from, you know, like, Ironside and the thing from this spigot. It's like you're just putting it all together and you're making a new thing. And that, to me, is really exciting. And this is Spielberg's kind of... Spielberg doing that, which I never thought he would do. And and what's fascinating about it is that maybe he is the wrong person to do this, or maybe he is the right person. I haven't quite figured that out. Because there isn't a lot of Spielberg references in this movie, which doesn't make sense if there's a future obsessed with Eddie's pop culture. It would be chock full of Spielberg references. But because he made this movie, there deliberately is a lack of Spielberg. Like, he goes around it. There's certainly a lot of stuff for his pal Zemeckis. There's a thing called the Zemeckis Cube in the movie. And there's a DeLorean. And there's someone dressed as Doc Brown. And you have, like, Joe Dante stuff with, like, there's the little Gremlins box. And, like, so he, like, he kind of goes around it. But, like, why isn't there an Indiana Jones in this movie other than a poster on the wall? Why isn't there, you know, a jo- Like, there's a T-Rex that shows up. I'm guessing that's kind of supposed to be Jurassic Park. But that's, in a way, also a cop-out. Because a T-Rex could just show up for anybody because everyone loves T-Rexes. And uh, it's, it's like, like this movie maybe should have been made by like an Edgar Wright, who I think was offered it at one time. Like his, he has such an over-encompassing love of all pop culture and would not be afraid to put in even references to Shaun of the Dead or whatever in here. But I just find it interesting that Spielberg, who I don't think gives a shit about the 80s, making this movie <clears throat> and... I don't know. I just, I like him doing his take on this pop art thing. Like, I find it exciting. Uh, like, he's throwing all these movies in and all these things, like, all these things together. And he might not even know what they all are. He might have just had a team of people being like, should put that character in from Mortal Kombat and make sure to put Chucky in there. And he's probably never seen a Child's Play movie. I don't know. But I think that that makes for a, like a more fun movie as opposed to someone who really wants to make sure that we know that he is clever enough to know what all these things are, you know, because if you were some 80 year old playing this game in the future, maybe you don't know what all these things are. You're just sort of playing it and you're just like, Oh, that's weird. Look, it's a giant 
thing, you know, and you don't know that it's Godzilla or whatever. Do you really think that Steven Spielberg hasn't seen Chucky? I mean, I haven't seen Chucky, but I feel, <laughs> I had I don't know. I, I it's like the feeling old, like, like, he like he's everything. old. No, but you he do, was. I don't know, but I think, but he's old and he's prolific, and it's like, do you have time to know what all these things are? I don't know. Like, do my parents know Chucky? Is what, I don't know if they but do. But your parents aren't. <laughs> fuck, I don't have a screening room in their house, and constantly people saying, "Look at my." Yeah, movie. but they're people that watch TV every day. You know, he's Steven Spielberg's making a movie, two um, movies a year. Sometimes, like you don't like you often hear from these filmmakers where they're just like, "I don't know what that is. I was busy making a movie." Like I don't have. Do no we know idea. this? I never let, saw I mean, that. Do, okay, so let, here's a question. So, because <laughs> so you mentioned Tarantino. He's someone who's notorious. He sees it. He sees everything. He owns a movie theater. Yeah. He like he, he's yeah. into being encyclopedic. And mm-hmm. actually, I've been listening because I listened to the Joe Dante, Josh Olson podcast, the movies that made me. I listen to a lot of filmmakers talk about the films that they watch. And there are occasionally some who seem like they don't have a very uh, large vocabulary, cinematic vocabulary, but in general, most of them do. So wouldn't you say that Steven Spielberg seems like the kind of guy or, and I want to say, I'm not even making the argument. Do you know, have you read interviews with him (laughs) about, about how he views films? Like clearly up until he started making them, his knowledge was encyclopedic. But I mean, he started making movies when he was like 22 or whatever, you know, like this is pre-video age. I don't, I just don't think he's as obsessed with being, like he's not like Martin Scorsese who seems to want to know about every movie ever made. And ta- and when you, and you hear him talk, you can tell he is that person, you know? And I think it was on the Sopranos podcast, Michael Imperioli said he had a job where his job was to, just cut out every movie review for every movie ever made and put it in this book so Scorsese can read about it every day and learn about every movie that's existing in the world. I don't know if Spielberg cares as much. He has like, you know, a million children. He's busy being rich and donating to things and being a humanitarian and making all these movies. Does he have time to watch every movie referenced in Ready Player One? Or is he just... Because I think Ernest Cline definitely is, the author and co-screenwriter. I feel he, I definitely believe that guy's watching all these movies. So maybe this is in the script and Spielberg is just like, okay, I've never played Mortal Kombat, but okay, that's a guy. Sure, great. Or who's ever animating. Like those scenes, those battle scenes in this movie where it's like thousands of pop culture characters fighting each other. I don't think he's aware. Like I think it's even like the people making the effects is dropping stuff in and maybe he gets a printout of like, oh, here's all the people we're going to include. Are you okay with that? We have the rights to these these ones, but we don't have the rights to these ones, so we're going to put those in there. I don't know. I don't think it's the same as, like, Tarantino, who, like, has seen every, you know, movie ever made. And I think that's why it's fascinating to me that Spielberg is the one making this, because to me, he's never been... He never feels like a movie obsessive. Like, definitely a movie lover, and he respects it, and he learned about it in film school, but he doesn't seem like the same sort of, like, I must see everything sort of guy. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just reading into that, but I've never heard an interview with him either way about whether he watches tons of movies or doesn't. But for some reason, I've always thought he's busy reading reading history books or something than watching a shit ton of movies. But you never know. I mean, Stanley Kubrick watched tons and tons of crazy fun movies yeah. all the time. So you just never know. I think he's maybe he's just not vocal about it or doesn't care if people know that he likes movies a lot or not. In that obsessive sort of way. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I do not know. I, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe it really is just a matter of like, he's, yeah, I'm too busy making them. I know how to make movies. I mean, it is at a certain point, once you get good at doing something and you really know how to do it, it's not that you aren't interested in other things. It's just like, I know it as a songwriter. Sometimes I'll listen to a song and maybe justly or unjustly, I kind of know where it's going before it's going there. I know the mistakes it's about to make because I can hear them (laughs) in the firmament of it. And for, you know, that must be, you know, yeah, it must be weird for Spielberg to watch movies that are so much standing on his shoulders and probably being like, ugh, why are you copying that aspect (laughs) of what I do? You learned all the wrong lessons. Like, like I wonder, like, did Tarantino ever watch any of those ripoffs, like, of his own movies? Like, is he watching Guy Ritchie movies and enjoying them, being like, I helped this guy make these kind of movies in a oh, way? Oh, I'm sure Tarantino <laughs> watches them all. But I don't think Spielberg is, like, watching every Marvel movie. I don't, I don't no, think I he think, cares. Yeah, I think, I I think you may I think, be right. I, I mean, who knows? I, I mean, I think he'd rather rewatch some old thing that he loved, like, being like, oh, I can't wait to watch this Kagamusha again or something. I don't know. Like, I kind of get the same vibe from Coppola, like doing the Coppola thing with AJ on my other podcast, The Director's Wall plug. But yeah, I don't think he's watching every big movie ever. I don't think they care. Like, it's, I, it's, you never know, but you never know. It's like those stories of, you know, Stanley Kubrick just like being obsessed with, you know, white men can't jump and, you know, Judge Dredd. And he's like, okay. Like, it makes sense too that if you're such an intense person making, these re- these really crazy movies that you're going to relax and just watch fun stuff like anyone else. And I, and I know that Spielberg, like I knew like during Schindler's list, he was obsessed with Seinfeld and that people mailed him tapes of Seinfeld. Cause he just wanted something to make him laugh while he was so depressed every day making that movie. Oh yeah. And Seinfeld was, like, is the perfect was... comedy for making and, Schindler's list. <laughs> and, wa- and watching Seinfeld constantly, uh, you know, so who knows? Maybe he just isn't talking about it in interviews, and he is watching. Like, I'm totally wrong. Maybe he's every day can't wait to go to the theater, watch a new thing, watch every child's play movie, all you know, thirty of them. <laughs> like maybe that's his thing. I don't well, know. I know he's a big but, fan of the but, World Is Wrong podcast, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I like I like that this is sort of his Gremlins too. You know, like that he finally got around to making this kind of crazy ass everything goes sort of movie like i think he tried to do this before with 1941 and some people think that it was a failure of sort of an everything but the kitchen sink sort of wait movie. you could you think this is like 1941 now i'm really in a confused. way i think in a way of just like he is doing this movie that in his mind is like super fun and just kind of throwing everything at the wall sort of movie which is not usually the type of movie he makes like you like this movie's very full of so much stuff this stuff and fun stuff and that to me is what i feel like when i watch 1941 where it's like and what if this happens and then this happens and this happens and you're just sort of like this is a lot of stuff going on in this movie this is a lot of like just for comedy and i feel the same way with this movie with just sort of him just trying to do this fun crazy thing like i don't think this movie was important to him but i think he was just like i just want to make a movie that's crazy fun and i haven't done that in a long time you know, like, what was the last movie before this that was just pure him just having fun and not having some big, huge message? Like, there's a message in here, as there is with any story. 
you know, about like the little guy versus the big guy and, you know, the idea of enjoying real life and, you know, virtual life and like where we could all go. But like, didn't he do uh, Tintin? Wasn't Tintin? Tintin felt like that. So this like since Tintin, like I've just sort of like, you're just having fun. And I think it had been a while since he did that. And it was nice to see this kind of him having fun again, where you're not just making things about, you know, with Tom Hanks that are, you know, sad about real life. Like you could also can just let loose and make some crazy fun movie. You want to know what's, what's funny is, uh, so if our main character was born in 2026 and if he's 15 years old, this could be 2041. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so this is the sequel to 1941. It's and they both end, and also player. 1941 <laughs> and Ready Player One. If you're just, yeah. you know, they both, uh, does Spielberg have any, is that why you think they're, the, they're similar? Because they both end with the word one? <laughs> I think it's because they're both hated and they both are in everything but the kitchen sink sort of movie. It just remind you know what it reminds uh, <laughs> me of another thing that's missing from this goddamn movie if they're going to do the 80s? Where's John Belushi and a big box of cocaine? <laughs> this is a kids movie. Uh, John that. Belushi. Well, I, so <laughs> he he was friends with John Belushi. He erased John Belushi from the 1980s. That's not okay. <laughs> you know what? He's at war with his own film that you love because. Well, t- what jump? I guess you could do the Blues Brothers. You could have had in you the could car have had the, blue, scene, yeah. the Blues Brothers car, like the cop car. Yeah. 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 Or, this movie also has that weird thing of like maybe because of the studio that made this, you couldn't get the rights to the like you can only use what they had for their IP or what like was adjacent to their IP, you know? Anyway, sorry, I, I I'm I'm just gonna keep digressing and trying to pull myself back in. Uh, so you you said that there was something in this movie that you were really excited about. What is that? Oh yeah, that my I'm birthday. Cur- I'm curious. My, that's that was it. My, your birthday? My birthday. Oh. I'm always excited. <laughs> I'm always excited when Has my your birthday. birthday appeared in any other movie other than this and the Paperboy? Uh, I'm not sure that I remember it. Uh, you know, I, but you know, it's it's unless you talk about something with someone, it goes away. So, but I've picked yeah. two movies now with your birthday in it, which is weird. Yeah, you've picked you've picked zero movies with my birthday in it. Yes, but so. I did pick a girlfriend who has the same birthday as you, so that should count. So for that's something. even more important, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I'll never forget your birthday because. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> I really like to. A thing that's shocking to me is that I love a movie that's mostly CGI because usually I don't like CGI. Oh yeah, well I, for a second I, there I was like, oh, I love and, a movie that's mostly CGI. I was like, Brian, who took? Is, are you Brian's Avatar? Does, <laughs> and uh, and and like Avatar is the only other movie I can think of that is mostly CGI, and it's like maybe like the CGI is so good or the writing so good or the directing so good that like I don't think about it. Like watching this movie again for this. I was just like, oh yeah, this movie's mostly. This is mostly an animated movie. This is mostly a, 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 a cartoon in a way. Like this isn't like so Spielberg directing it in a way was just sort of him in a room with other animators, just kind of going over storyboards, and then they go off to work. He's not on set for a big chunk of this movie. Like you know, it's it's sort of weird to think about, but I think it's so well done, and because it's, I think I'd accept it in this. Because it's supposed to be a video game, so it doesn't have to look real. It's not supposed to look real. So I can accept this being all CGI as opposed to something that I'm supposed to think is real. 
you know, like Jar Jar Binks Planet or whatever. But, uh, like, I find that interesting that he... And other than Tintin, this is the only movie he's made that has this much kind of CGI world, which definitely his pal Zemeckis got really into for a while. Did you ever see any of the Zemeckis ones that are all CG, like uh, Polar Express or Beowulf? Oh, yeah. Well, that's okay. Uh, well, now we're getting into the the Tom Hanks alone in a movie thing. Because <laughs> I just saw Finch, which is Tom Hanks alone in a movie. Castaway is him alone in a movie. Polar uh, Express, Polar him Express. in a uh, room with headphones, just right. doing lines off a script. Toy Story, him alone. <laughs> Nicest guy in Hollywood, yet he doesn't want to work Can't, with anybody. He doesn't want to be. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Were there even other people in uh, Forrest Gump, or was it all green screen? Like, I know there was when he meets Nixon and stuff, but like... Maybe he never met Gary Sinise. Maybe it was all green screen. You know Just what? Just stand there, Tom Hanks, pretend to shake someone's hand. Like, go home. <laughs> I'm sure in a previous episode I've told my Tom Hanks story, so I'm not going to retell it here. But... I just I want to go back to the last thing the the sort of the punchline of the story is when I asked him why he was directing this he's like well now that I got these two bad boys I think I can pretty much do what I want you know he's just <laughs> I, it was it was a wonderful thing to hear like very refreshing thing to hear someone say but I feel like since then he's like part of what I want is I want to make movies or not to be around people so Sally, <laughs> Sally Fields bugs me <laughs> I want to get <laughs> well I mean I think. Like, we talked about this not on the show, but like if you are considered like you're supposed to be the nicest, friendliest, most loving you know actor in America, then imagine if you're Tom Hanks and you have a bad day on set or you're oh, cranky yeah. or you didn't have enough coffee or what you didn't get to sleep and but you have to put on the show because everyone's expecting you to be like, you know, the number one guy, and you have to you have to hide it. Like if you didn't get your order right at the restaurant, you just gotta like eat the food you don't want because <laughs> you don't want Tom Hanks to be like, wait a minute, this is not what I ordered. Because it's like, oh, how un Tom Hanks of you. <laughs> so it makes sense that he would eventually just want to make movies with him and a robot. <laughs> like you can because you know what? When he makes those movies, he can fart. He can send his movies <laughs> his food back. He can complain about somebody else that he doesn't like. He can't do that on any other. But like poor Tom Hanks, like he can't do that. <laughs> in Finch, he's not he allowed. Actually, in Finch, there's actually a joke about where he, he makes he references to the size of his head. It was it's awesome. <laughs> oh really? I yeah. don't know if that's ever happened in a movie before with I, him. I uh, I gotta say, you know, I know we're here to talk about Ready Player One, but. <laughs> I think Finch well, is pretty Tom good. <laughs> I think Finch is pretty good. I, uh, Who made that movie? Is it anyone of note? I don't see. Okay. Uh, so it's directed by Miguel Sapochnik. No idea who he is. Written by Craig hmm. Luck and Ivor Powell. It's uh, produced by Zemeckis. Uh, among, well, his name's on it. It's like a name, a list of nine people and Zemeckis. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he doesn't mm-hmm. do, he didn't yeah. do much. Um, but like he greenlit it in some way at Amblin. He walked it into Amblin. But it's, yeah, it, it's it's totally the opposite of Ready Player One. Ready Player One has stuff flying all over the place. And this is kind of cast away with a robot in an apocalyptic future. Um, but Weren't you excited though watching this movie that it wasn't a John Williams soundtrack, but it was an Alan Silvestri? Like to me, that was very exciting. Like that's like that he broke away 
from his regular, you know, collaborator John Williams and went with Alan Silvestri, who did some of the best soundtracks of the 80s with like Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit and using him to do this, I thought was very smart because that really adds to that. I think he did Predator, too, if I'm not mistaken. Just like he has this great fun and sense of urgency and just like, I don't know, like to me, he's more of the soundtrack of the 80s than a John Williams is. So that was a smart move on Spielberg's to have to add. They kind of go with a whole different composer for Ready Player One. Did you did you pick up on that at all or did you not care? Um, no, I'm just excited that that's something that like, that <laughs> I like having a friend who gets excited about this kind of thing. It makes, it makes really me... excited. <laughs> and then to, to me, the part that really locked it in for the, was, was the whole shining sequence in this movie. Oh yeah. That's great. I thought was so great. That was great. And like Spielberg being, you know, Kubrick fan, number one, I feel like that was just so fantastic and it looks so amazing. And seeing that in the theater, and I've never seen The Shining in the theater, and I've always wanted to, and I haven't had a chance to do that yet. I saw it in a theater uh, when it came out. I was too young. It. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. The, what was your nightmares like? I, I, rem- I, was, I, w- I, I remember standing out. I would go outside. When I would see scary movies when I was a kid, I would go and stand outside the door and just peek in. Letting light in, people, all the cineasts are like, close the goddamn door. <laughs> <laughs> Just the scary lady in the bathtub. <laughs> but there's something about like movies that use The Shining in their movie. Like Twister did that. Remember, they go to the drive-in yep. and they're watching yep. The Shining. There's something about just seeing, like, if you see like even three seconds of that movie on the big screen, it's so thrilling. It's so yeah. exciting. I'm not even a huge fan of that movie yet, but like this, like there's something about it that just like it's really cinematic instantly, just like gives you feelings. The music, the kind of deep music, uh, and just the done in this like in this movie when it's revealed, like oh they're going to see The Shining, oh they're in The Shining, and the way they recreated it, I'm sure by capturing every image of the movie, and it feels like they're really running around the hotel, is done so well, and then. It just surprises you because it's going through it and then the characters from that movie start coming out of it and you have like the like the like the lady in the bathtub and you have you know Jack Nicholson with his axe or whatever. It's just like that part is so cool and it's so well done <laughs> that like seeing that that's when I was like, Oh, this is like Spielberg is having oh, wait, such a wait, great wait, time. I'll, wait, here. I'll back up here. Uh, I just like you you the argument for not having John Belushi is that there's a this is a kids movie but Jack Nicholson <laughs> with his axe oh yeah that's fine that's fine kids don't know who John Belushi is anymore they don't they, know who he is well th- that's what you got to do something about that the blues brothers are you kidding me <laughs> I don't think they know I don't think 20 year olds care I know unfortunately. it's wrong like they should like when I was 20 I really loved John Belushi but I was 20 20 you know 1 years ago so it was closer to when John Belushi was around like, I was alive when he was still alive. I don't remember it, but, you know. Uh, so maybe he should have thrown in, like, a little Neighbors reference in this movie. No, that's too obscure. But... A Continental Divide no. uh, reference. Is that, you know, I like, think uh... it would be Bluto. It's Bluto or the Blues Brothers. I think it should have been the Blues Brothers in that car race. I'm, I, I, I agree with you. In the yeah. cop car. Like, why not have the Blues Brothers cop car there? But again, that's universal... Maybe they couldn't. No way. They got so much shit. I don't know. Yeah, it's Spielberg. You're right. No excuse. 
Uh, anyway, but, sorry. <laughs> I don't want. To, I just wanted to say that the logic that it's a kids movie, but let's talk about how the best part is the scene in The Shining with the blood and the lady and the axe and the kids and yeah. No, it's not, so uh, it's more like this is it. It's like I don't know. He's, yeah. Anyway, tell me more. But it was the thing is you can't win with this movie because when you have them like this is the problem Tarantino has too is I think. If you're like leaning into the pop culture and you're showing your references on your sleeve and in the people's faces, there's always going to be someone being like, well, but you forgot this. And what about this? And you didn't mention this thing because the people that are really into this stuff are so into it that they get upset when things are left out. It's like the in memoriam at the Oscars. It's just like, you forgot to force Kelly. It's like, okay, it's, yeah, but like there was 40 other people that were there. They like, whatever, whatever intern put it together, forgot to force Kelly. I'm sorry, you know, but it's, I think no matter what, you're going to be dissatisfied with this movie if you really wanted whatever, because everyone has a different version of their 80s nostalgia as well. This is just, in my mind, Ernest Klein's version of it. But like, I bet someone else will watch this and be like, why? <laughs> Yeah, why isn't John Belushi in here? You know, why isn't different strokes in here? So, like, it's it's just everyone experienced that decade who was alive through it in a different way. Some people I, yeah, I, weren't even lucky enough to have TV to know what any of the shit is at all. So, I want to, I, I, I kind of want to figure something out here because I hate to just be thinking out loud with this. If it, if this goes nowhere, we can cut this out, but. <laughs> Like all the references, like the Blues Brothers taps into black music, the different strokes is that story. Is is Michael Jackson in this? No, I don't think he is. There's something is are all the references white? I think I think that is a problem with geek culture in general or the 80s nostalgia in general. You're remembering Rambo, but you're not remembering She's got to have it, you know, like, <laughs> but I feel like, but also, most but also people, if they were going to like, do 80s would, would think Michael Jackson. More, but I think like, this is all movie. This is all like, this aren't just celebrities. Like no one's running around as Elizabeth Taylor. Don't they have either. a thriller? These are all... They have a dance off, right? Doesn't he do a thriller thing? In this movie? No, I'm just, I'm trying, no. I'm, tr- I'm, I'm doing my best to prop this film up. I, they, they take the name of a civil rights activist and all the ref and they've, taken all the black references out of the 80s which was a very i mean that's what a lot have, of what made guess, the 80s well what would have been the 80s movies because this is very movie tv well, videos based. wait a second michael jackson was a video phenomenon video is there any MTV but no, is the 80s yeah you could have done some you could have done a prince you could have done a but also these are real people then maybe they didn't want to give the rights to the likeness of real people. Cause I mean, I understand why they wouldn't have Cosby people. now, but there's something <laughs> like there's no, like I do, th- I, I, I would wonder, I'm, again, I'm not, we're not the people to dissect this movie on this level, per, first of all, because yeah. I haven't paid th- that close attention to it. But as yeah. we're discussing it, I'm just noticing that all of the references that we're noticing aren't there, including uh, the, the thing that got it to me, and this is just how, what a white guy I am, is the Blues Brothers. Because like, oh, well, they're playing, you know, then you could ha- that you could have, dun, 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 dun. you could have blues <laughs> music and that would make you think of all those great blues greats who are in that film. And that's just yeah. not there. And even the, I mean, and this isn't like a, 
It is almost a, oh, you know what? It is a very Forrest Gump thing. There's a very particular view, just like Forrest Gump gave us a very particular view of the 60s, which just happened to mock all of the cool things about it or erase them and highlight a lot of the more, I don't know, mainstream, you know, white guy things. It would, it would have it. been interesting, like, if a black filmmaker did this or if a an African-American wrote the book and not some white guy. Their view in the 80s, I feel, would have been very different. And their nostalgia, like there'd be a coming to America reference or something, maybe. Yeah, but they wouldn't you know, leave like out it, all of the... They probably would not leave out all of the white references. The other stuff that's in... This is true. This is very true. No, you you are very right. But I think that's the thing with... That sort of... When people do 80s nostalgia, when you see like the Trivia Pursuit thing or whatever, you know, stuff in culture that's very 80s based... Other than Michael Jackson and Prince, uh, no, there really I think, isn't a lot of stuff that isn't just a bunch come of on. white people stuff. Run DMC and like Run DMC was huge. The Cosby Show was huge. Yeah. Prince was huge. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, there was a you know there it, there was a lot of big pop culture stuff that was not like obscure. Like oh, nobody knows what that is. Different Strokes <laughs> was huge. Like a Gary yeah. Coleman reference would be great. In this, you know, what you talk about, like if he had just said what you talk about something to somebody, that would. But have I feel been this wonderful. movie feels more movie obsessed. It feels like more than anything, the pop culture in this movie is from movies. If I'm not mistaken, doesn't it feel that way? Okay, then have Clubber Lang, or have who, have what? Club, Mr. Have Mr. T. He's totally Asian. Yeah, yeah, you could have. Yeah, you know, I'm just saying that. If yeah. it, I, I, if you're just saying, oh well, this guy's I, I, my favorite guy isn't there, but if you start to notice a pattern of what's not there, and then you just like, whatever. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hang on this point, but I, I guess there's a part of me that just wants you to acknowledge this isn't just sort of like, hey, just everyone leaves out Michael Jackson from when they're talking about the '80s. <laughs> like nobody leaves out <laughs> Michael Jackson when they're talking about the '80s. But maybe in 2018, it wasn't a thing they wanted to mention right now. Okay, maybe I'm, okay. The timing, maybe the timing wasn't right. You okay, know? so like, maybe it's not Michael Jackson, <laughs> but they're like Prince. Some yeah, Purple Rain was a movie. Pretty huge. You could have had him on a motorcycle yeah. in, the, in his purple outfit. You know, yes. like yes. you could have done that for sure. Definitely. Oh. You're right. No, you are totally right. Like this is definitely the Fat Boys. Mo- a movie. What about the Fat Boys? <laughs> yeah, Disorderlies was a movie from the eighties. No, you're like there is definitely Yeah. And then also this movie isn't just is it just the eighties? It goes into the nineties too, so you could have had, you know, some care like you could have had, you know. Danny Glover from Lethal Weapon, or who knows what. I mean, the, the casting is very stuff. multicultural. You got to wonder what these, yeah. these. Yeah, because you have Lena Waithe in there, who's great. Why uh, isn't she mentioning this? Like, she's... But I wonder if that's a problem with the book, because I haven't read the book, and I wonder if the book is only references sort of to these these movies. But also, you have to remember, like, in the 80s, there's like Spike Lee was important because there wasn't a lot of black filmmakers making movies then. Yeah, there was you him, know? there was and Robert Towns. There, and... there was a few, but it was like a small few. And it would be very different if you made a movie about nostalgia for like this decade. You know, Eddie Murphy. So I think it... Eddie Murphy was huge. Where's Eddie Murphy here? That's not like some <laughs> obscure thing. Yeah, you could have done a, tw- a 48 Hours or yep. a Beverly Hills Cop. Yep. An Axel Foley. Yeah, no, you're you're totally right. <laughs> There's... 
But I think this is definitely a movie aimed towards white. People. I think like thirty, like white dude, white men. Because I think there's also a lot of uh, female stuff, like lady stuff, that's not in here either. Like stuff that women would have been into the '80s is not in here as well. You know, I think this is definitely like four white dudes in their age thirty to you know fifty-five. Sort of, that's sort of maybe the nostalgia that is tapping in. Ugh. It's the, the demographic that I hate to. Be, it's inhabit. about time that those guys got a movie. <laughs> oh wait a minute! That's every movie is aimed for those people. Yeah. Uh, no, but no, you're totally right. Like that is definitely a, a fault. Like that is definitely a problem. I like, guess if this was a '90s nostalgia-based movie, it would have been a lot different. I think because you couldn't have done, not done like Fresh Prince. Yeah, you could you have. Know? I mean, obviously, I guess you, you could, could have left. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what they're pro- this movie proves it. <laughs> if you can leave Michael Jackson, Prince, and Eddie Murphy, yeah, out of an '80s nostalgia, you know, I get yeah. leaving Joe Piscopo out. I get I, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I was kidding before. No, <laughs> Probably a good choice. If Piscopo had showed up, though, that would have been the real. Like, like you're kidding. The guy, the one guy. The, for the, the person from the, that year of SNL, you're picking Piscopo over Eddie Murphy. Uh, it's what you can afford, you know, when you've spent all hundreds of millions of dollars oh, you can already on Superman, CGI. But you, can't you can afford, afford Piscopo, but you can't afford Eddie Murphy. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. But we are, the idea is to be as relentlessly positive as... I mean, this is also American stuff, too. So, like, you're not getting... Where's Jackie Chan? Where's, you know... Where's Das Boot? Like... <laughs> Where's Das Boot? <laughs> like, where? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, a lot of this film looks like it could be Das Boot. So, <clears throat> people in dark metal places. I, I all, What I also like about this movie, and I feel this is a plot in the 80s that they didn't do anymore, was I like... I, I'm just I'm always a sucker for the little guy versus the big corporate the evil corporation as the villain, which is such a great thing in movies like Tron, you know, and every eighties comedy, like every slobs versus snobs movie. And then, you know, since the late nineties everybody wanted to be rich, so then they weren't the villains in movies anymore. <laughs> like I think Good Burger was maybe the last movie where it was the rich people were bad guys. <laughs> And so it was nice to see, like, the evil corporation again come back. Like, I missed that from, like, RoboCop and stuff. Just, you haven't seen Parasite yet? Have you seen Parasite? No. Is there an evil corporation in that movie? Oh, no, but you're going to like that. It's like, they, <laughs> you know, it's still the rich The rich folks are getting it. So. Good. <laughs> they should. They should pay more taxes and they should be villains in uh, movies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Bong Joon-ho is here to make the movies you're looking for. <laughs> but, but I like that. And I think... Like I just, I really like that Ben Mendelsohn. Like he reminds me so much of like, yeah, he would have been the bad guy in Tron or a RoboCop. You know, like that kind of like shitty, like the parts in the movie where he's trying to be cool and he's got his little earpiece where someone's telling him the movie yeah. references and stuff. Like that's so good. Where he's just like, oh, I'm cool, I'm hip, I'm like you, and you just you can imagine just sort of like the head of Netflix being that way. You know, <laughs> like it just it re- it reeks of truth. Uh, <laughs> so I think I I enjoyed that, and Ben Mendelsohn's amazing, and he's like, and seeing him as a villain is fun, and uh, yeah, 
I, I like I understand why people don't like this movie, and I get why it doesn't click with people. But there was just something about it that I found. It was just fun to see Spielberg like not try to tackle something so big and just make something that was just kind of fun and breezy and just showing everyone that he's still really good at it. And in a way it was just sort of like, Oh, you got your eighties nostalgia. You got your stranger things. Okay, great. Well, I invented that shit. I can just do this like after I eat breakfast and it's just so easy. (laughs) And he does, he makes it look really easy. Like he makes directing seem like it's just a fun, great, it's just like a ride. You just put a quarter in and, and then you get off the ride at the end. But you know there's a lot of hard work in there. But I think that's the touch of that's the Spielberg touch. Like he is really good at his job. <clears throat> and I think here is just one of those instances where he's just like he's this is a slight effort in the big scheme of his filmography. But he does a great job. It's fun. Like I'm not when I watch this movie, I'm not bored. It's like 140 minutes long. And it just flies by. And it's just this is like him just waiting to, you know, get some Oscar script, it feels like. But he did great he could have not made a movie or he could have phoned something in or maybe this is him phoning in but he's just that talented that he can't help but make something really fun and great like do you like hook i love hook i think that movie's really great <laughs> and that's yeah, definitely I mean, considered I, I, a slight effort I, by most people but i haven't seen that, it since it since it came out but uh but like he yeah i would i would watch that and jack i feel like that and jack is a really nice robin williams <laughs> yeah. double feature of Two films made by masters that most people write off that are really much better than the reputation. Yeah. And I think it's just people should give this movie a chance. Like, do you like other movies by Spielberg? Great. Then watch this movie. I think I'm going to let you have the last word on this one, Brian, (laughs) because if I try and (laughs) put a bow on it, it's going to be a, it may be mistaken for a Garrot. (laughs) I don't, know, we don't I think, want that. I, I just wanted to do this because I feel like or garrot. This, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like this is a movie out of all of Spielberg's movies that is the most brushed aside. Maybe because it's the most recently brushed aside one. But I think like people are willing to sit down for the other stuff, even the Lost World. But no one's trying to watch this. And I say I just want to say try it, try it out. It's a fun, good movie. It's a good time. Is it as good as the other things that he made? No. But it's still like this is the type like this isn't. I don't know. I just feel like you don't have to. You don't even have to know what all the references are to enjoy this movie. I think it's just fun. I have nothing deep to say about this movie other than it's just like it's like it makes me happy. And on the darkest day of the year, what else? Is that you what you want for? exactly? Time passes. Uh, (laughs) Well, we're we're coming back here about a month later after recording that. Before we get to the outro, we just needed to to add a couple of little, I don't know, corrections, augmentations to our our conversation. (laughs) Uh, So uh, although, as we said, there's not a lot of black culture from the 80s in this movie about the 80s, the film does try and uh, correct that in the soundtrack and it puts Prince, I Want to Be Your Lover, as the first song on the soundtrack. There's actually, there's The Temptations on the soundtrack and Earth, Wind, and Fire, too. So the soundtrack 
is not as white as the as the movie. <laughs> and it would have been weird to see Earth, Wind, and Fire like fighting the Iron Giant. <laughs> so I guess soundtrack works. I mean, but that. it's also kind of weird that just my imagination, a song from the 60s is in this 80s retro soundtrack. <laughs> like they couldn't pick yeah. one, like a Fat Boys song. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a, there is a part, uh, I watched the movie again, there is a part where uh, the character wears the purple rain jacket the prince that long purple coat um oh and you kind of get a john belushi reference in that they mention the movie animal house that's that's the extent of your belushi love that you were hoping this movie had (laughs) that's that's not enough that's (laughs) not enough on any counts they stole prince's jacket and they probably referred derisively to animal house so, I mean, not that Animal House doesn't deserve a certain amount of derision. Fair enough. But uh, anyway, um, let's not muddy the waters. Uh, muddy Waters wasn't in the Blues Brothers. It wasn't either. I think that's because he yeah. was dead by that time. He would have been, or he just wouldn't be. Anyway, now let's get back. Get let's get back to these promos and the outro, and then uh, you know, I'm sure we say a lot of funny things. Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe by Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. One dream, one wish, one piece of mind. A podcast hosted by Nico White about One Piece by Acherio Oda on Paper House Network. We'll see you every Monday. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. You know, we were talking in the last episode about how Spielberg uh, is, how he had the 9-11 trilogy, Mm -hmm. which is Munich, War of the Worlds, and the Terminal. But I feel like I was thinking about this. I feel like Minority Report. Oh yeah, is definitely part of that. Yeah, because that's about this invasive, you know, government <laughs> where they're, yeah. they're 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 pre-crime, where they're looking at your thoughts yeah. to catch you before you even do anything. Because you and it's very for for a movie made by a Jewish filmmaker, it's very Catholic to me. Like that movie is very like, well, you thought it, so it's the same as you. You might as well have killed them because you thought about it, so you're done. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's such a Catholic thing, you know. It's just like, did you think about that? Well, then it's the same as doing it. You're going to hell, so you better go to church tomorrow and like confess your sins because you thought you thought it. Too late. You're arrested by Tom <laughs> Too Cruise late. on the way to church. On the way to church before confession, you should have gone there sooner. No, that yep. definitely feels like a very like yeah. People tapping your phones, like just reading your emails, like that definitely. Because what year did that come out? That was what two thousand two. That was like right after nine eleven. I think maybe maybe then. I think he was in production during 
that time. So maybe it just we did not consider it because he already knew <laughs> the bad things that. Because I think the government was always up to that shit. They just were more open about it to say that it was to protect us afterwards. But he was just like, and him and Philip K. Dick knew. <laughs> but no, that you are totally right. Like that definitely fits in with that. Is there how can Catch Me If You Can fit in with a post nine eleven? Because uh, that was also around that time. That's the only other one. Like what about an imposter? How does that Where? fit in? I don't know. <laughs> but maybe there's something there too. Uh. <laughs> I'm trying to find the year that he made that. Hold on. Minority Report? Yeah. I want to say it Let's must have been 2001, 2000. Oh, 2000, it was 2002. Okay. So he was probably in pre-production in 2001 for sure. But yeah. The, well, he was the, probably, he was producing, he, he was doing, uh, he was already on the way. Yeah. I mean, he's, if you're doing... That's the thing. If you're going to be doing Philip K. Dick, Philip K. Dick knew that this stuff was coming. Oh yeah, yeah. Exactly. Long before. Yeah. That's why he is. <laughs> why people love to make dystopian movies yeah. out of his screenplays. Yeah. No, you're right. That movie totally is. That should be the fourth one. People just. Don't or I guess the first. It. The first one. Like, yeah. No. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and this movie also fits in a way where everyone's so fed up with how the world went, they just want to escape in a VR game. So that's kind of, yeah. that's no, this is not a, like, this is a, it has a happy, it's a, it has a sort, I don't know. That's the thing again. The, is it happy I've or is myself it really off, sad? Yeah. I've turned myself <laughs> off to the, like, I came into this conversation being sort of laissez-faire about the film. And now I am actually, I'm, I feel like I'm actively hostile to it. You're bringing out, see, this is why the solstice is bad for me. I, I, my internal darkness gets just so like, and it's just like drink some hot chocolate, sucks. you know, just, you know, it's fine. <laughs> so, so this is our final of the Spielbergs. Is there anything else you want to say about Spielberg? I, he's, it's not, his it's new movie final of our Spielberg, isn't it? Well, we're gonna. I mean, for this for this month, I'm saying yeah. we've had three in a row now. This is the the end of this this little little pocket that we got going on here. His new movie's coming out this month, West Side Story, which I'm excited to see. I'm gonna see it. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna see it. We're all gonna see it. I'll see it. Like we're all seeing it. And that's the thing about Spielberg. It's like we're always gonna go see his movies, and even the ones that you know people say aren't good eventually we'll go around to seeing it i think these gotta go these I, for me that's how it is i just gotta see it like you gotta see the yeah. bfg you just gotta because i'm just curious he is sort of like the biggest filmmaker of my lifetime he is the guy who he was the first filmmaker that i ever knew was a filmmaker so i'm just always gonna be inter- interested in what he's doing until he's done doing it you know until he dies or retires I think he's going to be one of those people who dies while making a movie. And who who would finish the Spielberg movie? He died. Which of the fake Spielbergs would replace him? Or would it be somebody out of left field? Like, who's his standby? Who's his Paul Thomas Anderson? You know, like, who's going to be <laughs> the person? Or be like he was for for Kubrick? Yeah. On, uh, yeah, who's the person AI? who's going to be like, I'm taking the reins of the Spielberg movie. I can be the one. Because I don't think it's gonna be some other old dog. I think it's gonna be some who's the young. Like, is it good? It's gotta be J.J. Abrams, right? Like it'll be him. He'll be like, oh, unless it's a drama, then who would do it? I think if it was one of the fun ones, like if Spielberg died mid making Ready Player One, you know J.J. Abrams would come in and <laughs> take over. 
But if he died in the middle of Lincoln, who's going to take that over? I don't know. Like, who's finishing those ones? The, drum, the really, dramatic ones. You're, okay, you're, now you're getting into the solstice energy. Okay. <laughs> Uh, very dark. Uh, you know what? I, what I'd like to believe, what I'd like to believe is that he, you know, he's the head of this, like he's, there must, I hope there are people he's mentoring beyond, yeah, I mean, who like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know who it is. I kind of hope that it's someone who we don't know who it is, yeah. that it's not Ron Howard. It's, just, it's, so, it's just some like 20 year old lady, this like out of film school. And she'll finish. Someone she'll who's finish War Horse someone who's working. Form. Yeah, someone who's been working. Who's been working closely with him for the last two or three films, whatever those last two or three films is, and that he has been, you know, mentoring someone who's standing right next to him on yeah. on ev- like on his last three films. So it's just like a, there's a continuum of like, okay, well now I'm going to continue the master's work and the reward for that is that I get to continue the master's work. And if I do it well, then sure a career, but someone who hasn't been hanging out with him because they're hoping that he'll green light their next film, but someone who's been working with them because they like standing next to Spielberg and learning about how a camera moves and how light works and how you talk to costumers and yeah, you know, yeah, I guess that's, that would be, that would be my solstice wish for the death of Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and may he live another 55 years. Oh, but please, yes. I have a feeling that he will live a long, be an old. He seems like he's, he's rich life. enough that he can be healthy enough, you know, forever. Uh, and then the brain of Steven Spielberg in a jar will direct, you know, something. <laughs> Oh yeah, I wonder. I mean, he's gonna be—he's got to be at the cutting edge of this stuff. Maybe he'll yeah. live, you know. <laughs> so uh, okay, well, uh, I, think, I think I think we've we've hit. The, we're now talking about his death, so I think we've hit the end of this episode. But this was yeah, fun. Think, I'm glad. Thanks for letting me vent about this movie that nobody likes. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe we've inspired someone to watch this, even though we—I feel we've barely touched about the plot of the movie. But I feel that what's great about this movie isn't the plot. I think it's the the feeling, the idea. Um, yeah. And all I want to say is that I hope that somewhere out there, there's a filmmaker who's considering making a film of the life of the real Wade Watts, uh, born September 23rd, 1919, lived a long life to 1998. He was a, a friend of, uh, Martin Luther King's a the the president of the Oklahoma NAACP during the late 60s through all of the 70s and the early 80s. You know that those can't have been easy years. So you know, as far as the world being wrong, I hope the world can get a little bit more correct in just being aware of this guy's story because yeah. I wasn't yeah. until studying this film. So in in fact, subverted itself and led me to the story of Wade Watts. And I hope it can do the same for you. Um, so uh, now as we segue into, uh, do, do you have any, uh, do you have any solstice? I don't know. Intentions. I don't like to do New Year's <laughs> resolutions, but I, I like to set solstice intentions as the ah. coming of the light. I just really love this time of year. I like, because I don't like, it's weird. I don't like being cold. I hate it. That's why I live in Texas. But I like it. I like this. I like it when it gets dark out. I like it when it gets cold out at this time of year. 
and it's it feels more peaceful to me when you go outside things were just more quiet and just the air is crisp you know i i collaborated i, I co-produced a record called the darkest day of the year for andy dick whose birthday is uh december 20th or december 21st i don't remember which one i think it's the 21st because it's always the 21st is the solstice so yeah or maybe it's the 20th because that's the day right before the solstice mm. anyway you could find it out there uh, if you look up andy dick darkest day of the year i co-wrote most of those songs and uh, so I have a I have a I have a strong relationship to the darkest day of the year, uh, but you know actually I think you gave me my intention for 2022 my solstice intention. Oh, good. Do you know what it is? What? It's the name of the movie that you're that you're going to be releasing in 2022. <laughs> my intention for 2022 is to make popular movies. <laughs> There you go. I think that's what we should all do. And Spielberg is already doing a good job of it. So let's follow in his footsteps and make popular movies. And, and that's, I guess, that's a, a nice little pivot to the self-promotional part of the show. Uh, <laughs> we always talk about your your uh, other podcast, The Director's Wall. And by now, you may have uh, covered Tucker. We did. We, we covered it. Uh, we did okay, it. Okay. That's, it's that's out. Where, that's a long, then it's a long time in the past. Then it's a long no. time in the past. Whatever. <laughs> No, it's, it's happened. It's out there somewhere. It's happened. So, so thank you, okay. everybody. We accomplished the unaccomplishable. But aside from that, uh, in 2022, you are coming out with your uh, feature film. I, would you consider this your uh, feature debut? Yeah, I've made debut? many things before, but this is the first thing that isn't like with friends on a camcorder, which they're great movies, and I'm really proud of them. But this is like the first like real thing with like a professional crew and cast and yeah i'm very proud of it and that'll be what i mostly talk about next year and is it, it yeah it just is there anything you want to tell like is there any way that people who are listening to this who would like to know more about that about the film keep you know be like obviously we'll talk about it more but if they want to just <laughs> be in the loop on that how can people I, find my you to... uh it'll be i think for many many months of this coming year at a film festival near year so look for it then and if it isn't demand that it is because it's a fun time it's 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 uh, you know half the length of the movie we just talked about which is good for any movie and uh <laughs> yeah and it features it's... a breakout performance the introduction the cinematic introduction of a star to be the great, <clears throat> soon to be acknowledged as great, John Golson. He is he is a great actor that I hope to make every movie with for sure. He is amazing. So yes, it's uh, for those listening, cast him, cast him in your movie. He's there are, there are things you'll see. Well, there there are scenes in this movie that once you've seen them, you will never forget. <laughs> yeah, uh, feats of endurance, <laughs> strength, stamina. <laughs> and passion that will just leave you. No, if he doesn't get an Oscar for this, like I am never ever going to go to the Oscars. <laughs> Holy shit! Wait, I just want to. I just want to give I him an Oscar. Get... Oh, wait, I, 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 I. This is breaking news right now. <laughs> Phil Juwanu just left a comment on one of our posts about State of Grace. <laughs> he says, "Oh well, I did my best." <laughs> Uh, uh, so wait, wait, Phil Janua, Juwanu, Juwanu, yeah, Juwanu. Uh, 
Oh my God! Where I uh, you made it? I, you made it, kid. I, 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 I just made I made Phil Juanu feel bad. I don't want to do that. What? Um, of course you did your best. That's what I want to say. You did you did so fucking well. State of Grace is a masterpiece. I would watch it a hundred times. Uh, and he's he still writing. Still, it was an amazing experience. We're live gramming uh, with Phil Juanu. Right uh, this so is an amazing re- experience. This is in reference to our episode from last month. Uh, State of Grace. State of Grace. Check it out if you haven't. Uh, so there you wow. go. We've wow. made it. We okay. see we're already entering a new year on the yeah. radar of that director that you like a lot. So Yeah, we have some really exciting stuff coming up in the new year. Nice segue. Uh, we have one more episode in uh, 2021. We are going to just as a you know to con- to to continue a theme you may be able to pick up on. We're going to be finishing the year with an episode devoted to the Ben Stiller Show. And if you are not familiar with the Ben Stiller Show, it only had I think ten episodes, and won an Emmy after it had been canceled. And it featured Ben Stiller, Bob Odenkirk, Janine Garofalo, and Andy Dick, and the some of the some of the writers included. Uh, um, Dino Stamatopoulos and David Cross, and it was just found. Uh, and Judd Apatow was one of the producers, the producers and a director of many of the episodes, maybe all the episodes. Uh, yeah, so it just sort of foundational yeah. for that strain of comedy and Excited. easy enough to track down and watch all of. It's only ten episodes, so good. and it just so uh, good. Yeah, so yeah. So let's not start now because that's basically what we're going to do for the new year. We're just yeah. going to get together and gas about our favorite bits from <laughs> the Ben Stiller show and encourage you to discover this thing that I don't think like the world is wrong about. It's just the world can't be right enough about that on, as far as I'm concerned. Like if you aren't familiar with it, this will be an opportunity to get straight with the comedy gods. <laughs> and... Yeah, and in 2022, we do have some exciting things coming up. First of all, Phil Juanu is going to be joining us for an episode where he uh, talks about... No, I'm hoping. No, but we are going to be joined in the first episode of January by John Ronson. Yes. The, uh, I don't know, just the, the illustrious writer, uh, the author, journalist, podcaster, and screenwriter of films like Frank and Oksha. And uh, I had a an excellent conversation with him about those films and another film that he really uh, went to bat for a film called pride from 2014, which I highly recommend and we'll be discussing on that episode. And so a lot to look forward to in 2022 Yeah, films from Brian, more podcasts (laughs) from us. I don't know what I'm going to be doing, but uh, I'm going to be doing it uh, somewhere either in Los Angeles or Olympia, uh, I think, because I can drive to both places. I don't want to get on any planes. And uh, yeah. 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 Well, happy winter solstice. I'm glad to have spent it with you. Yeah. May your winter solstice be freezing cold dark and gloomy just like you like it Mm -hmm. and uh and yeah and uh yeah so and thank you to all of you who uh, have been following us all year if you'd like to get in touch with us you can find us at contact at the world is wrong podcast.com you can find us online at our website www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com you can find us on two social media platforms one is instagram where we have 
wonderful, friendly interactions with some of the directors who enjoy the clips we post, like director Phil Juwanu, director of State of Grace, 3 O'Clock High, and Rattle and Hum. And you can also find us on Twitter at World is Wrong Pod, where I retweet uh, articles from Wallace Shawn defending Woody <laughs> Allen. <laughs> Uh, deal with it. Uh, if you can, if you can hang with Ready Player One, uh, then please. <laughs> then you can do anything. Then, the world then is you your can oyster. listen to Wallace uh, Sean say yeah. nice things about everyone, which is pretty much what he does in the piece, which is why I felt comfortable retweeting it because I wouldn't want any negativity. It's just like we want to challenge the negativity, which is what his piece was doing. Recommend you check it out. Now I've talked about it on the podcast, and Brian, I'm sorry. This is what happens you in the what? solstice. It's a free country, so. Uh, so far. Still, so far, kind of. Kind for of. For some people. For some. For us. <laughs> for the moment. For the moment. <laughs> Before and the on that. Well, Yes. I just, Before what? Just had a minority report uh, worry. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm thinking something bad. So, yeah. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Well, while while you while Brian's thinking something bad and we're <laughs> laughing about it, just remember that wherever you are, the world is wrong, and it's probably wrong about you. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> Can you fast forward to the stuff about Halliday's date? What? Yes. Halliday actually went on a date. Nothing. I invited her over. Well, did you at least get her name? Yeah, Kira. I told you, like the character in the Dark Crystal. That's her gamer tag. Karen. Karen. Okay. Karen Underwood. Karen no. Underwood. Oh, Karen Underwood. As in Ogden Morrow's wife? Just watch. So listen, you and Karen Underwood. What'd you do? She wanted to go dancing. So we watched a movie. And? Where's the juice? Oh, Give me there's... some juice. There's no juice. Oh, God. Hold the phone. I don't, I don't Halliday know. went on a date with Ogden Morrow's wife. Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8-Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show.